Hey guys, it's uh, Stacy. I'm one of the hosts of this show, you know. I just wanted to let you know that in the upfront business today, we talk more about the shock videos that were circulating the internet, the ones we talked about at the beginning of the last episode. And there are some uh, graphic descriptions of those videos. So if you want to skip all of that, because it's pretty gross, um, the conversation about the movie today starts at around the 25 minute mark. So just a heads up. Thanks for listening. Jinkies, oh, what's that gross book made out of skin? It's not a book, it's a tome made out of skin. Ew, what's it say? Behold the collected apocrypha of Stacy Ponder, the writer for Final Girl. And Anthony Hudson, the programmer for Queer Horror. And together they are... Oh my god, don't read it out loud! Don't read it out loud! of Dark News! Here we are. Another Wednesday... It's not Wednesday as we're doing this, but it's Wednesday as people listen, and I'm taking the listeners into account, you see. Oh, yes? Very generous. It's the Wednesday of our mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah! Your Wednesday stays on my mind. <laughs> Do you like Wind Song Perfume by Prince Machiavelli? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> what? <laughs> That was pulled from the murky depths of my brain. <laughs> anyway. Far too murky. <laughs> yeah, Far definitely. Murky. Uh, speaking of murky depths. Oh. Well, last week's uh, fisting conversation <laughs> certainly caused a bit of a stir. Did we lose listeners? Is that something we can track? That's, I would like to find out, honestly. <laughs> if it was too much for you, please let us know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was too much for me. Um, <laughs> so. It wasn't however. too much for them. Right. <laughs> no, it was not enough. No, it was not. <laughs> not enough. They wanted some Popeye action, probably. <laughs> yeah, right after that can of spinach comes out. <laughs> Oh, Lord. But uh, our conversation got me curious oh. about a few things. Oh, really? You're curious? Yeah. Well, I said, I have a fist. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you hold it up and look at it. Yeah, I hold it up and I size it up and I'm like, oh. Now, wait a minute. <laughs> Only one way to find out. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, I, I believe our wider conversation about uh, the 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 mid two thousands um, shock gross out culture of the internet. Oh yes, yes, yes. Going back in the to the glory days of of Tub Girl and Goatsy and the like. Yes, so that got me curious. And you know how I am 
as oh, a no. private investigator. Yeah, she's she's got the the, the <laughs> film noir door with her name <laughs> etched in the glass. <laughs> That's right. Usually it's about K-pop idols, but <laughs> after our conversation, I said, "Hmm, I do wonder what was real and what wasn't." What? In in terms of like two girls, one cup. Oh, oh! Then yes, I, because... then I then, then I found I had to know whether or not it was real. You did a investigative journalist. You applied a lens. I did. <laughs> I sure did. To to track to fact check uh, the cultural moment that we all went, right. lived through. Right. Because the question was: Is do, do they eat the poo poo? Right. Do they throw up the poo-poo? Is that real? Right. Is the poop actually poop? Because we, none of us wants it to be poop. Right? Except for the person who's, like, getting off on it. That, that but German the rest guy. of us, those of us who were subjected to it, uh, we, we desperately are hoping that it's not actually poop, right? Yeah, it's a longing for soft serve. Right. So I was like, I'm going to see if I can find out. Now, this was very dangerous territory, and I had to click onto things with... I, I employed my childhood approach to horror movies, which is, if I squint, it will take me less time to close my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> so, when the, there's like, there was always the potential for a jump scare or something, I would squint and be like... This will take less time to get my eyes closed. So, and so you're that's just, what I you're just do. sitting there straining your eyes for like an entire horror film. Well, when it was really at a point where you knew something scary was going to happen. Oh yeah. The person but, is walking through the dark house or whatever. But if it's a jump scare, how are you going to be prepared for that? All of a sudden. Well, I, this was just my this was just my brain saying this is a good idea that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> I love this. I employed that with this, and any time I clicked on a link, I would squint just in case because I didn't <laughs> actually I didn't want to actually see anything, you know. So I learned some things about some things. Oh my god! So two girls, one cup. Whether you know this or not, was actually only. First of all, it was only a minute long. Imagine one minute of film traumatizing so many people. That was one minute long. It, but the thing is, it's a one-minute excerpt from a 60-minute movie. Oh. Now, I read some articles from some dude who, like, tried to get in touch with the director, couldn't do it, et cetera, et cetera. The director, director has said, well, he makes a lot of fetish movies. Okay. I'm not here uh, to yuck anyone's artistry. It's a strong term. Yeah, I regret it all <laughs> So he makes a lot of fetish movies, and he says that sometimes he will use chocolate if the actors don't want to engage. Like, it, it, that means if they don't want to shit everywhere. Right. Or consume the shit. Or eat, eat the poo-poo. Yeah. So this guy who was trying to track down the original director tracked down another director who was blamed for... Two Girls, One Cup, he was, like, on trial for obscenity charges or something, and part of his argument, he was going to bring up Two Girls, One Cup, and that became conflated with, he's the director of Two Girls, One Cup. Okay. But he does make fetish movies and does know these people, and he's, like, in the early days of this kind of fetish movie, like, in 1980, 
Sure, they probably used fake stuff. But these days, why would you when there are people who are willing to do it? <gasps> so his argument was, maybe it's fake, but it's probably real. And the guy <gasps> writing the article watched the whole movie, and his takeaway was, it's probably real. Oh! Then I was like, oh no. There's worse things out there than this. <laughs> like, I read about another movie. Um, somebody reviewed it. Somebody, like, wrote their live review as they watched this other movie. Oh, my God. Um, and it's, like, real. And this is... Th- these are all made in Brazil. And it's... It's it's real. It's real. What's this one? What's this other one? This one is called Swap. Dot AVI. That's like the name it became known. Oh for. God, I can already see the file like in the in the in the Mac file type. Yeah. Oh God. And it's like a teacher with her four students, and they're shitting in each other's mouths. They're shitting in each other's buttholes and then reshitting the shit. <laughs> they're <laughs> eating the shit and throwing up. They're throwing up in each other's mouths. It's just like oh. it's just one of those things that you say to yourself like i don't know it's we talked i I mean this is like anthropologically oh yes 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 again yucking a yum etc etc but i find that it pushes my limits of like what is actually acceptable as a society and like (laughs) does this actually degrade all of us like there's just it's very sad to me that people would do this for money that there are people who are getting off on this but then I say, that's a slippery slope. And if you're going to say, no, you can't do this, then who's going to say that, like, well, you know, these two women staring longingly down a hallway is obscene to me. Exactly. Yeah. Then it's all a question of taste. Mm-hmm. So then I have to say, I don't agree with you shitting and puking into each other's mouths, but do I have to defend to the death your right to do it? Do I have to get fucking Voltaire on this shit and remind myself? Because... It itself just fills me with such a, like, bleak kind of, this is where we are? We could have jetpacks and space cars. (laughs) Instead, you shit inside me, and then I'll shit it out, and then you eat the shit, and then you puke puke the shitty puke into my mouth, and then I'll puke it into your butt, and then you shit out the puke. Meanwhile, this is done because some guy is jerking off to it. Some some rich, crazy piece of shit <laughs> who just wants to see them throw up the poo-poo. So it just makes you question where your own uh, moral boundaries lie in terms of using this word very loosely. Art. Yeah. You know? Well, but then that once you start thinking too far down that path, then you understand why there's shitty people and nihilists and all this, right? Mm-hmm. Because once you continue to follow down that path, it's like, well, then what's the difference between that and, like, then maybe there is no more. All morality is invented and, and, and conditional to its individual culture. And then you're like, oh, no, I'm Ayn Rand. I'm Ayn Rand. <laughs> oh, no. I just voted for Rand Paul. What the fuck is wrong with me? I'm a libertarian. I voted for Ron Johnson. Like, (laughs) you know, it's just, it's, it's wild. It's wild. And, uh, like, as also, like, to even get away from that, like, 
argument about morality or whatever, which we could go on all day. Um, just as uh, someone who is sociologically, anthropologically, whatever, cur- like curious about Internet 1.0, Internet 2.0, it's amazing how influential on web culture Two Girls One Cup was. Yeah. Because that was the birth of the reaction video. <gasps> which is the which is in all of YouTube at this point. It's the entire industry. Yeah. It's become old people react to whatever, raisins, and young people react to a telephone. Yeah. And that's something interesting to me is like I think as both of us as gamers um, mm-hmm. there's a whole new generation that doesn't even game. Their gaming is watching other people game. Mm-hmm. And it's all just watching people watching. Watching people unbox things. Watching people eat things. Watching people... That's interesting and weird. It's its like, uh, you know, my private investigations at K-pop have taken me to a lot of, <laughs> obviously, YouTube videos. And there's a whole subculture of, like reaction to like they'll watch somebody's video and react to it and it's like okay so i'm looking at you watching a video and then at the end you go wow man they can really sing or whatever Mm -hmm. but that all spawned from fucking two girls one cup where it's like it became not even so much about that video itself but watching people watch that video is fascinating yeah 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 yeah. it yeah you want to it's about that seeing that reaction elicited from them yeah that is so weird that two girls one cup i never would have thought of that as like the form that is that is the patient zero yeah huh and it all came from (laughs) not soft serve not soft serve we want it to be and then i was like well what about uh what about some of the other things i found in a very brief interview now this could be this could not be the truth of it. I don't know. But it was a very brief interview with a woman who said she was Top Girl. Uh, and the person was like, what is this? And little did I know after seeing that photo, thanks to a shock link that was sent to me. Oh, yeah. Uh, Top Girl was art. It's an art piece? That is actually an art piece, yeah. Wait, what? What was the Top Girl again? <laughs> oh boy Top for, Girl for our is... listeners that don't did, weren't aware this is really gross and I would say you can fast forward probably another <laughs> 10 minutes if you're just not I mean they're already gone the people who don't want to hear this but just in case I will describe Tub Girl that are I'll try to be palatable so to speak Squ- squint your ears okay that's, uh, that's <laughs> it'll take you less time to close them um, Tub Girl was a Asian woman. I feel like she was wearing a schoolgirl uniform. The camera is above her. She's lying on her back in a tub. She has her legs up. She's wearing a mask. She is shooting uh, what appears to be an orangey enema diarrhea-esque liquid into the air and into her mouth. This is an artistic statement. It was art? She says, she wore the mask because, and I quote, it protected and at the same time removed me from the shot. It showed how we covet and dehumanize women. 
The point of the whole thing was the yin and yang about womanhood, women at the center of life, feeding and nourishing. And I'm like, that sounds plausible in terms of this thing. Like, it's crazy and extreme, but that sounds like a plausible artist statement for this. And my point is, I feel like it was probably an authentic interview with her. It sounds like, yeah, it sounds like an MFA student. Um, mm-hmm. I love her. I love her. <laughs> I love yeah. that it was art. So there you go. Wow. That's what I was going to ask was like, they have to, somebody has to, if, if we know the identity of Goosebumps Girl, who, by the way, is a lesbian. Yeah. So, so yeah. Goosebumps, oh, oh my god, Goosebumps is is definitively queer horror. I'll wait to see that noted. Um, if we have tracked down her, then they must have been able to track down all of these individuals, right? The actress, the the article I read about Two Girls World Cup was written in two thousand seventeen, I think, and the women were still making movies at that point. Films, and, <clears throat> uh, film, sorry. Cinema. Yeah, they were still <laughs> engaging in cinema. Uh, you know, I mean, because Two Girls One Cup was like 2005 or something was when all this stuff was happening, like mid 2000s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, it was the it's the era of Tub Girl and then Dimension Extreme. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a crazy time. Man. That honestly, the teens today, like, let's see the teens react to that. They I would know. explode. They would. Explode. <laughs> In many ways, we've become a more, like, society has, in some sense, has become much more gentle. It's true. We, yeah, we've become very gentle and earnest. Um, yes. Yes, the earnestness. We, we trust in each other's capability. But back then, man, we were listening to Cradle of Filth and getting our necks <laughs> pierced like Ozzy Argento and shitting into each other's mouths. <laughs> no greater worries like some like plenty of people obviously did it's not like racism started you know last year or what you know what i mean like there is a plenty a sizable subset of society that has always had life or death worries but the bro culture the uh, dominant culture of the time mm-hmm. they had nothing else to worry about Right. Well, and, and back then too, it was what we were under the hold of the of uh, the W Republicans. Yes, which were uh, weren't fully like they were evil, but they were they were more. Um... They looked just like us, though. <laughs> <laughs> they kept their they kept their racism and things like this. Not necessarily on the sly, because it was still permeated art and culture, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah. they weren't so, like, they weren't just stating it outright. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the way people do now. Yeah, that was still hidden. And it was, it was more of a, it was, it was more of that, like, I don't know, Texas good old boy, Sarah Palin in Alaska and her air, airplane or her helicopter shooting a bear or whatever. <laughs> like, yeah. It was more of that weird, they were just like the mavericks. Everyone, everyone was, it's a different time. Well, it's, it's interesting, like what you said, Dimension Extreme, that it does parallel where the horror industry was with bro horror and Dimension Extreme. Oh, Mother of Tears. Torture porn, Mother of Tears, Torture Porn, Hostile. Yeah. 
like that whole era was also just a part of culture and for women and feminism and things like that it was like the way to you had to you had to be cool you had to be like one of the guys mm-hmm. and the dominant image of a feminist woman was the strong female character right who yeah could give as good as she got with all the bros and we were allowed to have one of those in a movie and she yeah. was white and straight <laughs> She's got her neck pierced. <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> and, you know, and we were coming off of, um, we had only been, now we're, as you pointed out on the last episode, now we're coming up on the 20th anniversary of, of September 11th. Mm-hmm. Uh, that had only been, that had only happened. We were still culturally digesting it back then. Oh, sure. Uh, it was still fresh. We were involved. We were, we were, you know, the war effort was new and not something we've been stuck in for decades at that point. And all that coming off of the Clinton era of, like, somewhat, you know, economic um, well-being and... Security, at least. Security and the the beginnings of moving towards outwardly acknowledging progressive values. I think it's a lot of it is, like, I'm sure someone has written about this. And there's a... Or at least there's the part of me, I've talked about it before, of, like, examining something like Eli Roth's filmography in the scope of it being a post 2001 September 11th time frame of like oh yeah and all of this it just makes sense that all of this ties in as being like reactionary to all of that of like our lives were upended yeah it rocked everything it rocked everything and changed american society in so many ways in their entire political system oh for sure um, and it was coming off of a time of stability mm-hmm. and security, economically especially, but so, I don't know. Two and... Girls, One Cup is culturally important. <laughs> wow. It's a fascinating, I think it's a fascinating topic and conversation to have, personally. Wow. Yeah, that uh, that absolutely is incredible um i never really i i always think well you know how do we think about how we got to where we're at now well it's like well it was the internet it was september 11th it was reagan before all of those things Mm -hmm. but it is interesting how much all of those are entwined all happening at the same time and then we end up with the okay now you throw up in my mouth i'll throw up in your butt and then you (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> into my hair and then I eat that, my, your hair with my butt it's funny how we culturally digest things yes right without I mean honestly and then puke them back out <laughs> right into digest everybody's them, faces yeah. into everybody's faces right wow yeah actually this is an incredibly tame era <laughs> like despite oh, yeah. everything we're living through it really is I mean I wonder I, everybody was like, uh, well, some people were like, oh, the Trump era is going to be great because think of all the like punk rock we're going to get out of it. And it's oh, like, uh-huh. I, even the stuff that is blatantly reactionary to the Trump era, something like Jordan Peele's Us or whatever, in terms of its importance is one thing, but it's not extreme cinema. This is no. not like everything that's coming out of it so far is... There's nothing punk rock coming out of the Trump era right now. No. Except, except for, uh, who are those girls? 
the oh, the, the little riot girls? The Lindas. The Linda Lindas. Yeah, yeah. they're amazing. Like, we have the Linda Lindas, but that's about it. But I wonder if in five years, what kind of art we're going to be getting? Or have we changed so much as a society that we're going to... It becomes something sad and thoughtful versus, like, puke-riddled. Yeah, yeah. You only get the benefit of these... You only get the benefit of these viewpoints in the like long after the fact at the time it was just like why are those girls pooping on each other and <laughs> why did my friends send me this <laughs> why did you make me watch this why did she come over yeah. with pizza and is staring at me as she forces me to watch this video <laughs> yeah and is filming me like, yeah. yeah yeah absolutely oh my god what a journey huh what a journey wow stacy you you know you could, this could turn into journalistic awards. You could win a Nobel for this work. <laughs> I could, for sure. But I'd have to watch the source material probably to write about oh, it. Oh, that's just, true. I don't think I'm willing to go there. But in an alternate timeline, there is a cultural anthropologist uh, person <laughs> who mm-hmm. is you, who is doing this work and is getting that, getting that expose published. That's true. Yeah. And but for me, I just lose podcast listeners. That's that's my reward. <laughs> but it's just you know, it's just the kind of thing that really fascinates me. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's why I love looking at that's why I love looking at horror long term is seeing what was happening at the time. We've talked about this so much on the show, but what was happening at the time that influenced where, where this movie came from and. What were the themes in this film speaking to that would then later... Why why were people scared about this at the time? And then where would that evolve to later in culture? Um, Can't think of a more perfect example. Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> I didn't actually... When I was like, I'm going to talk about two girls. I wasn't like like thinking at the time of like how it would actually tie into the movie that we're going to talk about today the the connective tissue the connective tissue um but again like just like we have talked about that kind of thing in the past we're obviously going to talk about it again today but i think that's why people are doing themselves a disservice when we just dismiss things out of hand without really examining them when it's just a reactionary kind of this is bad sort of thing. When we say Rather... when we say this is mean and wrong and bad and sure it is. Right. But we throw it away instead of looking at what does this tell us about where we have come from and how do we be accountable to this history? Particularly when something is history. Like how are we to change and learn and grow if we're not paying attention to history? I don't know how many times people have to say that. Uh, but it's true and it's true for cinema and art and culture just as much as it is for like military history or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? If somebody, if Dress to Kill dropped tomorrow on Netflix and was exactly the same movie, I could see being like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> and granted, I'm still saying, you know, what the fuck about this movie? Yeah. But this movie is 40 years old. So you have oh, to look at it. that. <laughs> you have to look at it. In that time frame. Yeah, it was a different, it was literally a different world. Yeah, a sizable portion of our audience was not remotely born yet. Mm-hmm. 
at that time. Mm-hmm. And so things that come off bad today, not even necessarily talking about this movie in particular, but things that come off bad today are misguided, etc. It's like, was that the intention at the time? Which doesn't remove any criticism of it, but also, like, I think intention and context need to be taken into account when you're talking about these things. Yeah, absolutely. So anyway, we're talking about Dress to Kill. Brian oh De Palma, 1980. Oh my god, we are jumping right into this uh, sleazy, sticky, sudsy... Uh, uh, journey. Journey. I was trying to think of any kind of qualifier there. Yeah, this it's is a when, movie. This is a fucking movie. When you... T- about two minutes into this movie, I said... <laughs> The thing about Brian De Palma and I would say maybe David Cronenberg, two filmmakers, it's like when you put on one of their movies, you can't just be like, oh, it's Thursday night and I feel like a movie. What do I want to put on? When you put on a Brian De Palma movie or a David Cronenberg movie, you before you hit play, you have to ask yourself, am I ready to engage with the sexual politics of Brian De Palma and or David Cronenberg? Yep. Because there's going to be sexual politics. A lot of it is probably going to make you feel very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, for me anyway, I always have to ask myself, like, am I in the mood or the mind space or whatever right now to engage with that? Absolutely. So. De Palma's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, right? This Just, movie's a lot. Man. This movie is a lot? This The opening sequence of this movie yeah, is a lot? Um, I had not seen this since I was a teenager. Same. And this was like early days teenager too. Like this was like, this was the late night on TV watch. Uh, I was, I was like, what is this scuzzy, gross, sexy, but in all like the wrong ways movie? Mm-hmm. I saw the ending. I was like, what? <laughs> this mm-hmm. is this is interesting. Uh, and then it just washed over me. Um, I have never, I have not seen it in the in decades since. Yeah. Sat down to start it last night. Was immediately greeted by Angie Dickinson and her, her pubis, <laughs> if you will. It is a body double. It's it is a body double. Well, yeah. I was thinking, because Angie Dickinson, she's a classy, she's a class act. She was doing the Virginian, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah. So, so I was saying, is that, is that, I was like, this is full on, this, the camera is right up in that crotch. Right. And the nips. And the nips. She's, she's going, ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> she's, she's masturbating as we get close-ups of the soap. Yeah. Going over the pudenda. She over suds the it. Nipplage. <laughs> the nipplage and the pudenda. She's, <laughs> she suds in the nips and then she starts suds in the, the pubis and then and then it's just like the camera just is right there lingering. She's watching her husband and he's shaving and, and you're like, is she is she into him? And then she st- and then she's suddenly she's being what is it? Suddenly there's someone in the shower and he's choking her. Yeah, it turns into like a rape. It fantasy. turns into a rape fantasy, and then it cuts out of the rape fantasy, and then she's just in bed, just like putting up with it while her husband is jackhammering her. Yeah, 
I'm like, what the? This just went from an extremely lurid shower masturbation sequence to a rape scene to just a woman trying to deal with having sex with her husband. Brian De Palma. <laughs> like, all in one uh, hazy, like, Vaseline on the lens sequence. With the Pino Dinaggio score just being oh. like, <laughs> like there, there's a few times in this movie where I'm like, Pino, my good man, Dial you don't have, you don't have to treat everything like it's the 1812 overture. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it was far too grand. It's far too grand for someone walking across a kitchen. You know, like. <laughs> Reel it in, sir. But what adds more of an air of occasion when paired, like a fine wine with a cheese, when paired with um, all this sleaze to hear that epic, those epic overtures and then see the names, see Angie Dickinson and the, and the pubic hair and then see the names Nancy Allen. Oh, my Michael Kane. <gasps> Dennis Franz. Keith <laughs> Keith Gordon. I'd like to give Gordon. a shout. Keith Gordon. Love him. Brian De Palma in Dress to Kill. It's this movie is a lot, and I would like to say at the top that like however trans people feel about this, I agree with you hundred percent. You are absolutely you're, correct. You're, you're completely correct whatever your opinion is about this film because it's like it's just one of those things where it's like we can only speak to so much i can give you what i think about this movie and then it's like should you though oh yeah you know like there's always that sort of like can i speak to like there's obviously plenty of angles to it that i cannot speak to yeah yeah they only speak speak to it as you know quote unquote film critic or whatever you know. "Quote unquote feminist" or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This movie was controversial when it was released. Obviously, a lot of women's groups, like, and that, that's aside from the trans issue. Um, yeah. but women's groups were really against this movie. Oh yeah, um, and calling it misogynist and et cetera, et cetera. Because also, it was like the dawn of the slasher era, but the slasher era that was post Halloween, and so graphic slasher movies were starting to come out. Mm-hmm. This is not a slasher movie, but it was, like, lumped in with them. And there is explicit violence against women in it. Yeah. Yeah, and, so. and an extreme sexualization of the female characters. And um, both, I mean, both of the female leads, because there are two, because this movie is, um, <laughs> this movie is literally Psycho. Yes. It's just Brian De Palma making his own remake of Psycho, which I, I totally spaced how much this was Psycho. Um, it really is. But, you know, you have your two leads. You have your Angie Dickinson, Marion Crane in the beginning, the first, you know, fourth of the film. And, uh, and her, her whole identity is rooted around her unhappiness with her sexuality, with her husband, and this longing to be taken away sexually. And then you have uh, Nancy Allen as Miss Blake, who is a sex worker. And uh, both of these characters, their motivations, everything is only, only exists in their sexuality. <laughs> their identities as women are sexualized. This movie, moment to moment, for like the first probably 20 minutes, I was like, ay, ay, ay. Mm-hmm. Like Angie Dickinson aside, just ay, ay, ay. I don't know, man. But then by the time it was all over, 
actually probably at about the point where Angie Dickinson gets killed or something. It clicked with me, and it's another one of those where I'm oh, like, yeah. where I'm like, again, not speaking to the trans issues, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm just like, oh my god, this is actually a masterpiece. <laughs> That's well, <laughs> this movie is actually fucking incredible. When I lost my qualifier earlier in trying to describe this film, it was because I was my brain was skipping and was not allowing me to call this a masterpiece. It is though, right? But it's a, tr- it's. It's yeah, it is, but it's trash, right? Well, it's but Brian that's what De Palma. It's, yeah. it's a it's a De Palma trashster piece. Yeah. Um. As as a as a cross section of an incredibly sleazy depiction of a moment in time and life, nineteen eighties. This is New York, right? Is this New York? Yes. Nineteen eighties New York City when New York was like gross still. Uh, as a depiction of this like little moment in time through the lens of this filmmaker where yes as you pointed out yes the trans issues are fucked up in this movie Um, and it's a very I mean we'll get to it later but it's a very like heterosexual cis normative uh, uninformed view of transness Um, so it's hard to even call it transness but um despite all of that like everything every aspect of this movie is so inflated from 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 zero to to the to its utmost most awful <laughs> mm-hmm. that every character is a monster everything is is over the top everything is wrong and it's just so well done and how bad it all is <laughs> <laughs> and how good it is Oh yeah, that's that's what I mean. Like it's bad. Like they the 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 motivations, the characters, the everything is bad. Like they are bad people. This is bad stuff happening. <laughs> right. But it's so well done. Yes. Um, because De Palma's like just that master of sleaze. That's why I wanted to watch this. I wanted to watch something like sleazy. Mm-hmm. It doesn't get much more sleazy than this movie. That's for sure. Oh. Um, I do think that there are ways to look at this movie that perhaps De Palma didn't intend. Like I said earlier, with him and Cronenberg, the sexual politics, is kind of how I feel about The Brood. I can see that. I can see where you're going with this. It's like, this is maybe the movie you meant to make. This is the movie that I see. Mm -hmm. And that's me giving you a big benefit of the doubt. But I wonder if there are themes at play that perhaps the filmmakers don't realize because to me this is also because it is so heteronormative in terms of the trans issues it's like it's real easy to look at this movie as an exploration of toxic masculinity and the way that men objectify women yeah and the voice which who is better to talk about that than brian de palma because that's what he does look at the fucking shower scene that opens this look at how much brian de palma loves a shower scene like the look shower, at the shower scene, scene that ends it <laughs> yeah well those are interesting bookends right it's two women having shower scenes that are both dreamy and etc cetera, etc cetera. they're sleeping in the same bed it's like one is a fantasy etc that turns violent and one is just a nightmare mm-hmm. the way he bookends this movie Mm-hmm. But it's like, De Palma, are you exploring the way that you objectify and sexualize women? Or did that just happen and you didn't realize it? Because you were just talking about transness as if it's a Jekyll and Hyde kind of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
Yeah, it gets conflated with like dissociative uh, identity disorder. Right. And it and 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 it, yeah. Because he, I mean, obviously, whenever he saw Psycho, that shower scene really got to him because it's like Carrie has the shower the shower scene. Blowout has a shower scene. Like every Brian De Palma movie has a shower scene. Does Passion? <laughs> Does it? I don't remember. I'm gonna have to add it to my cart so that I can review. <laughs> but it's like I mean, and all of the shower scenes have different intents. However, in all of them, regardless of the intent, regardless of the character's age, etc., the women are objectified and sexualized. Yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting too that like with Psycho, the shower scene was um, there was there was a lurid quality to it, but it was the shock of watching a woman have like a relaxing shower after a long stressful day, and then she's murdered. Right. In this, the shower like his as a as a because this film, I'm just just this is a remake of Psycho, right? Like, yeah, as his retelling of Psycho. His takeaway of the shower scene is just a shower scene for the sake of a shower scene. Mm-hmm. It does become a, like they they're both located in like somebody's subconscious, mm-hmm. um, but it's it's for him more more than anything like it's an excuse to really objectify these women. He's taken the shower scene from Psycho and split it into the shower scene that opens the movie and the elevator scene where Angie Dickinson gets killed. Yes. He split the two halves, but with both halves, he's taken them and pulled the camera back eight feet because, hey, it's 1980 now. It's not 1960 anymore. It's 1980, Mm -hmm. and so we're going to show everything explicitly. Like, everything was hinted at in Hitchcock's Psycho, and I feel like if that was made at a different time... Perhaps he would have shown Janet Lee's tits. Oh, you know what I mean? Oh, like he absolutely would have. I remember reading um a, when I was a teenager, reading a biography of Hitchcock, and it was talking about the the next movie he was working on before he passed away. And like in the script, there was like a scene where a woman's just brushing her pubic hair with an ivory comb. <laughs> it was like okay, <laughs> women do that first of all. Yeah, okay? that's you know. Uh, but I, I just, yeah, I think he just like, was like, you know what, Hitchcock couldn't go there or wouldn't go there, but I will. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and part of it is like, let's show the vulgarity of humanity in a sense, like explicit violence, explicit pudenda and nippleage. <laughs> that was, that's what the MPAA, um, yeah. rated this for. It's also my Lilith Fair folk duo's name. <laughs> <laughs> we opened for indigo girl yeah and after uh jewel will take the stage <laughs> after yeah right but it's a, it's i mean it is like you said it is psycho but it's it's like psycho's grimier explicit little brother yeah 20 years removed how fucking wild that this is 20 years removed mm-hmm. that this is this, I mean, Psycho is like a monolith, but, and and it's, it's you know, black and white, it's kind of, it feels like it's further back in history, but it was so recent for this film. It's as far away as we are now from, uh, even the craft is older than this. That's 25 years old. Oh my god. Oh my golly. Yeah, so Psycho was really recent uh, in terms of this film's release. Two Girls, One Cup is almost 20 years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
and we've actually gone more modest. <laughs> so yeah, we're going we're going back the other way now. But De Palma know? was taken and making it extreme, psycho extreme. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it absolutely. I, as I was watching it, especially as as it as it got closer to the ending, and then seeing oh, now Nancy Allen's ending up with Peter, the nerd nerd detective, teenage teenage boy. Yeah, I was like, okay, so this is actually maybe there's something in here where this film is. Um, it feels like there is there is an there could be an element of like parody or self awareness underneath all the grime, but I don't know that there is. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I I don't know. It just seems like like given, and part of it is just what societies and the medical profession everybody's everybody across the board's rudimentary understanding of transgenderism except for probably mm-hmm. transgender people who knew what was up and just nobody listened to them yeah but, <laughs> but for everybody else it's like the clip in this movie that we see where he's got the footage from the phil donahue show yeah like that's real yeah and donahue's trying his best to maybe be equitable maybe yeah phil donahue was a real one yeah he was all right you know, he tried. Um, but it was, you know, we're going to have the transgender person on and, like, tell us what it's like, et cetera, et cetera. And I, Brian De Palma actually watched that, and that's part of where the idea for this film came out, hmm. came about. Um, and he was like, he saw it as, like, a Jekyll and Hyde kind of thing. It's like, there are two wolves inside of you. <laughs> yeah. One of them is male and one of them is female, and they're battling. And it's like, that's a misunderstanding, obviously. But that's where he was, and that's where society was at the time. Yeah, yeah, So yeah. That's, that's where he went with this. And so using that explanation... It's like, I don't know if he was using it for shock value of a twist killer kind of thing, but it becomes kind of, like I said, a critique of toxic masculinity because basically Michael Caine as Dr. Elliot uh, is a transgender woman, right? Wants to transition to Bobby. Yes. Um, Which is revealed much later in the film. But whenever Dr. Elliot is attracted to a woman and sexually aroused, that's when the Bobby persona comes out and murders the woman because he shouldn't be getting boners over women anymore if he is a woman. And so it's like Brian De Palma doesn't understand that like sexuality, he's conflating sexuality and gender identity. Yeah, the heterosexual identity still has to correlate to a trans right. identity. Exactly. Um, but so if you look at it as a critique of objectification of women and toxic masculinity of like, can't I just be cool? Can't I just like be in touch with my more feminine side as a cis dude? Mm-hmm. And so it's like, are you, but then he's killing the women that yeah. are the reason why he's got the boner. So that falls apart a little bit, but I think you can look at it as... He's unable to view women as anything besides sexual objects and blame the women for it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's it's messy. It's a messy, complicated movie. No, but that's that's the thing is like this is I think and this is a this is an interesting through line that exists in the trans killer trope. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in so many different places where it shows up. Um, 
it's like it's like and i think so much of it does root back i mean going back to psycho again so much of it does root back to norman Mm -hmm. uh and norman's treatment of his mother and like the need to his mother was domineering and now he must dominate her so Norman kills his mother, he becomes his mother. Um, I think that informs this treatment of transgender uh, issues or, like, depiction, where then there's, like, these combating personalities, much like Norman and his mother. Um, but what what comes through, I mean, in this through line of the genre, because this is, weirdly enough, its own genre, I think there's enough films to almost call this a genre the, these, the, with this trans killer trope. But, like, even in Silence of the Lambs, these depictions are fucked up, they're transphobic, um, they are uninformed, <laughs> but there is also, you can look at the fact that there there could you could absolutely say that like with james gum that the misogyny runs so deep that the woman must be dominated and conquered and destroyed and it is just this heterosexual dude gone wrong mm-hmm. um and the the self-loathing uh angle of homophobia runs mm-hmm. deep of like, well, if I'm going to be a woman, then I have to be sexually attracted to men. Which is like, you don't have to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Gay people exist. <laughs> like... See, and that's <laughs> that's where it gets so messy, mm-hmm. uh, which you were just speaking to. That's where it really gets messy is the pro, like that critique. We can look at that critique, like that that that. Um, we can try to see that context for this is this is what the critique is this is a critique of toxic masculinity this is james gum and and dr elliot are critiques of these men that uh uh need to to dominate and destroy these women um but simultaneously that becomes super messy because that's the same argument that like the jk rowlings of the world are throwing out where it's like when you look at like the trans bathroom issues and, and and rights of just trans people being in public, it's like there is the there is this weird like kind of cultural fear that mm-hmm. like trans women in particular will exist in women's spaces and uh, be th- predators to the right. women to 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 cis women. Mm-hmm. Um, but how much of that is informed by this kind of way of thinking? From people right. just not understanding what these identities actually are and who the, who these people are and that these people are real and people. <laughs> it's much more prevalent than it was in 1980. Mm-hmm. And everybody's understanding of things has evolved, et cetera, et cetera. But it's like there's still these holdovers from... I mean, there are still people who think that all gay people, especially the men, are child molesters. Oh, absolutely. And you're like, these, these stereotypes and prejudices and bigotry and all of that like it's very that's why it's so harmful is because the effects are so lingering yeah yeah i i made the fucking front page of breitbart <laughs> like yeah. for doing yeah. drag queen story times with kids and then how many if you google me how many things come up because i i don't know about you i've never googled myself stacy <laughs> <laughs> but how many there are so many search hits that come up that just like outwardly, outwardly like call me a pedophile and all of these horrible things just because I am a gay and queer person who mm-hmm. dared to like to uh, read books to children 
and it's mm-hmm. the it's just the fact of my proximity to a child or a child's proximity to me makes someone uncomfortable and they right. take the they take that preconceived notion of oh all gay people are pedophiles mm-hmm. which also is uh factually very untrue because if you look at the majority they're actually heterosexual dudes but um yep. But then that, 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 that just becomes this, like, cultural motif, this, like, stereotypical motif that we build into ourselves and our, our treatment of how, who these people are. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's fucked up. <laughs> it's real fucked up. And it makes, up. it makes watching movies like this and talking about them very complicated. And yeah. I, but, I, but that's okay. Like, and, yeah. you know, it's okay, to, it's, it's okay to engage, I think, with art, especially... 40 years removed and talk about these things and maybe you won't get it hopefully we're all learning and evolving and everything still mm-hmm. and so even if you say something that is uninformed or wrong like hopefully we'll all grow from it and but a sizable portion of society hasn't hopefully we'll all grow from it says a woman who exists in the era of 2021 twitter i know well <laughs> that's some optimistic i know right there, which is Stacey. not it's not like me actually at all so but i don't know but yeah. the, the, the sexual politics of it and etc cetera, etc cetera, it's also interesting because this movie is like you say the angie dickinson and nancy allen don't super exist outside of their sexual identities mm-hmm. at the same time this movie is aligned with their viewpoints oh we, and they- we see the whole thing through their eyes they are the protagonists um all the men with the exception of keith gordon as the teenager the radio shack nerd yep all the men are shit in this movie oh yeah they're awful so i mean there's that interesting kind of contrast also of like Mm -hmm. i don't know what to feel (laughs) (laughs) but that's that's why i was why i had to kind of look at this as a as a historical document fictive document of terrible people and terrible points of view (laughs) Mm -hmm. um that's what gave me because if you look at this like one you could argue this film is misogynist in how it's lensed that could be argued easily um this movie is transphobic uh or you know the 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 very uninformed depictions of an issue that we now understand more so thanks to um visibility and and liberation etc uh this film is transphobic this movie is also fairly racist i mean there's that Mm -hmm. whole sequence with the gang of black men threatening nancy allen in the subway Mm -hmm. um it's it just feels like a grimy slice of just people up to 100 yeah and uh simultaneously like, like that's that's the thing. It's like Nancy Allen at the end of the film. Nancy Allen walks Peter Keith Gordon through this very overtly fetishized, kind of gross, uh, lurid. She just walks him through this. You know, they keep saying transsexual in this film, and she walks him through what that looks like and what what gender reassignment surgery looks like and all of that. Um, and. And it's so over the top and there's this woman in the back like eavesdropping. I love this old lady that's eavesdropping and she's like fanning herself and holding onto her necklace. (laughs) 
and it's just like it's so over the top and 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 it's supposed to be like making the audience feel uncomfortable by hearing a description of trans of, of what what being trans is and what the surgery looks like and all this stuff because it's all located in anatomy because that's all people care about um and then she goes home to fuck the teenager <laughs> like so I'm, sa- I'm saying well where are the morals of these characters is this you know well, I wonder sometimes if I'm, if I, my private investigations, if my investigatory eyes go too far, am I too generous sometimes with my reads of things? Because I look at that sequence where she's describing it to him, and I say, neither of our main characters are reacting as if any of it is gross and disgusting. It is a completely over-the-top description of things yeah. that is, is focused on genitalia absolutely it sounds barbaric but they're not saying you know ill gross or something like that we have the woman in the background who is reacting like she's she needs a fucking fainting couch after hearing all of this and so just watching it it's like is there a possibility that De Palma? i mean this is way too generous i'm sure for him but it's like <laughs> There is also the aspect of this movie that is like, trans people exist. Yep. Period. Hence the Donahue clip. Hence the Donahue clip. Hence uh, the doctor for Dr. Elliot. Mm-hmm. Who is very much like, we were going to go forward with the surgery. Like, it's treated as very matter of fact, and that's the way Nancy Allen and Keith Gordon treat it, which is especially surprising that one of them is a teenager. But we have the old woman, the moral majority in the background. <laughs> The Reagan voter. <laughs> the Reagan voter who is shocked and outraged by this. And so it's like, first of all, it's meant to be funny because she's just like very slyly reacting to all of this. But also is De Palma saying like, are you, who are you? Are you one of the people at the table talking about this? Hmm. In a way, or are you that woman behind who is reacting over the top to this? Like, That's which one do you identify with? Because it is an over-the-top, genitalia-focused, medically-focused discussion, but it was 1980, and that's where we were. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. People didn't know what a trans person was, in ter- See, like, as a concept. You and know? that's the thing, is to take, to ahistoricize this, is, like, for me to take my modern context and understanding and information... And then expected of this document from 1980 before most of that existed for the normative society. Yeah. Um, I do love that you bring that up. And I, I think uh, it is super complicated. And I think both are true. Both can be true mm-hmm. at the same time. And that's part of the messy, sleazy problem slash joy of this film. Right. Is that both can be true. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that makes it really hard because then we can't make an easy internet podcast digestible. You know, we are we are we are we are naming our judgment for this film. <laughs> right. Well, that's the thing, and that's why again I do want to reiterate: like, if you're a trans person listening to this, whatever your feelings are about this movie, are they're completely one hundred percent valid, and I agree with you. You <laughs> whatever are they are, wherever on the feelings spectrum they lie, like I am not trying to talk over anyone's uh feelings or experiences but it's like every the thing is like if you want to lump everyone who is outside of cis white straight right everybody who's outside of that the cis straight whites didn't think we existed 
And so to, to look at films or cultures or like, we've always known that we've all existed, period. We all have had our own realities and truths and lives. But when you go back in time and look at things, it's like, this was the first time a gay person was on television and their gayness had to be explained. Mm-hmm. You know, it's even Carol, right? 2015, but is supposed to be the early 50s. There's the conversation between Therese and her boyfriend where she's like, have you ever heard of a boy falling in love with a boy? And he's like, yeah, I've heard of it. Mm-hmm. But it's like it wasn't real. Do you know what I mean? And so I just, yeah. when I see Nancy Allen and Keith Gordon talking about the trans stuff, it's just like, it was something, it was a topic for Phil Donahue. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know? it's a, it, was a, it was a new, uh, for this society, for the people in this film, it was a new cultural development. Right. And to the point where, it, 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 because it's coming out of a subculture um, well, what's something that has been relegated to a subculture, that's something that's been marginalized, um, it has this tabloid quality to it as the normative culture begins to try to approach it. Right. Or understand it. Um, I think you're absolutely right that the, like, and when I say that both can be true, like, the way that she describes it, they, she seems to cast no judgment. She almost, it's funny because you are absolutely right. Like, it's almost like flirting for them like it the way she talks about it with him it kind of this whole dinner scene is sort of like a foreplay scene yeah um they're the cool younger ones old lady is having her meltdown it's great once her friends notice that something's up with her and they're like checking on her she's just like gasping (laughs) for air um simultaneously like they they don't have an adverse reaction to it she's just very matter of fact about it he uh peter even is like oh well this could be a fascinating science experiment for me i could turn myself into a woman he says um he could build a woman build a woman himself or whatever then uh then at the same time though like the dialogue while they're not reacting the dialogue is meant to elicit a response from the viewer too Mm -hmm. and then also how can we can't control how the viewer takes that so then you show this in a small town full of a bunch of bigots right and they're gonna be like oh man Mm -hmm. um so it's it's just so so fucking complicated it Uh, really is and I love this movie. It's so gross and so crazy. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's like, you know, I don't know. I don't know what if Brian De Palma has a value judgment or had a value judgment at the time. Or was it just like this was his misunderstanding about a lot of things after he watched Phil Donahue, etc. And this is what he did with it. Or was he making a value judgment? Did he mean to make a value judgment with this movie? Yeah. That's a, well, question, that's a question only he can really answer, you know? Let's turn that high-powered perception around, Dr. Hector. <laughs> what do you, do you think that De Palma captured um, authentically, with, you know, without value judgments? How do you feel that he captured the lesbian sex mask community and passion? 
It's well, look at passion. It's like you have murderous lesbians who are like, "You will be in a relationship with me, or else I'm gonna kill you." Like it's it's just. And they're like, all fucking men. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's like, is is you know, it gets to the point where you're like, this filmmaker is using our lived experiences as a shock tactic. Which I think is what Brian De Palma does. Like, I'm not excusing it, but if you look at his filmography, it's like, he's there to outrage you. He's there to shock you. Yeah. Um, and like I said at the top of the discussion, like, going into one of his films, are you ready to engage with these sexual politics? Oh, yeah. And I mean, and that comes through in all of his films. Even his most, like, Carrie, I would say, is maybe one of his more tame films in a weird way. Mm-hmm. But even Carrie has I think that opening scene mm-hmm. that just makes you so uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and we're dealing with like, those are teenage girls he's depicting in a locker room. It's like, are you, you know, you look at um, Angie Dickinson's character in this, Kate, who is unsatisfied with her marriage. It's her second marriage. She's unsatisfied, especially sexually. Um, so she goes out and flirts with a stranger in a 10-hour museum sequence. Um, <laughs> I love every time she drops her glove or something, and then we get the split screen of her remembering her dropping the glove. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so good. And it happens 18 times. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she So she flirts with a stranger and ends up getting some strange. She gets... Yeah. Fingered and eaten out in the back of a cab, which only in New York, am I right, kids? <laughs> After a, a stint of museum cruising. <laughs> yeah, right? But then when she's rifling through his drawers looking for a piece of paper, she comes across a, a medical document that says oh. he's, got, he's got gonorrhea and syphilis. It's kind of funny. Her face, too. Yeah. Like, she, just, <laughs> yeah. Nancy Allen mugging through this entire opening <laughs> yeah. of this film. Angie My Dick- God. Angie Dickinson. Angie Dickinson, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Of the Virginian. And so it's like, that makes the dude look bad for going out and picking up strangers and not revealing to them that he's got VD. But then the flip side of it, when you look at the fact that this was 1980, second wave feminism... The idea of the liberated woman was coming out, especially the sexually liberated woman. You have shit like looking for Mr. Goodbar, these cautionary tales for women who go out to just fuck a stranger and look what happens. Yeah. Yeah. She calls, she, she fucks this guy. Uh, She call after her Cinderella moment with her glove. Um, She, she goes home with him, does it. She gets out of bed, she gets dressed, she writes the note, I loved her afternoon. She tries calling her house, and we see her husband yelling in the phone, Who is this? And we see her kid, her nerd kid, working on his nerd inventions. So it's like, there's the alternative for her, is this life that she hates, that she talks to her shrink about. Her shrink, who she's also asking, like, Do you find me attractive? Why don't you have sex with me? Um, that, Like, for Hitchcock, the suspense... And the, the, I don't know, the, the appeal of his films was located in the suspense. Mm-hmm. And the suspense was usually driven from, will these characters be found out? Will someone, who's going to die, will the plan work out? Um, De Palma, it's like the suspense is located in like this, is in, in the sexuality. And in this like, the kind of revulsion and the change in cultural attitudes around sexuality at the time. Because I mean, the 80s is when it all shifted. Mm-hmm. 
like it was if you look at the 70s and the 90s on either end you have two extremely different um takes on sexuality oh sure i mean i guess that really took hold began to take hold in the 60s but i really think the 80s is where it was kind of proven and i mean that's I think especially for queer people, that's after HIV AIDS, that's after Madonna. Thank you, Madonna. Also made sexuality a thing we could talk about. Mm -hmm. But it all, I I think in terms of how we received sexuality, it all shifted through the 80s. And I think that was primarily because of media and because of of what was being permitted, what was being seen in films. And that's, that's where a culture sees itself and begins to understand itself is through how we look at our art and what we're putting in it. And in the 80s, it was so much sexuality. It's, just, it's one of those things where it's like women at the time were castigated for being sexually liberated. Mm-hmm. And so you look at the sequence with the whole VD reveal and all of that and you say, like, is De Palma also doing this? But I don't think he is. It's like, is the gonorrhea and syphilis basically like a cosmic punishment for what she did? For her day out? For baby's day out. (laughs) Right. Angie Dickinson's baby's day out. Yeah, right? Like, I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe it's just Alanis Morissette-style irony. I don't know. But, like, she calls home because it's now dark out. She is long overdue for everything. And when her husband answers the phone, like you said, he's got the game on in the background, really loud. And she realizes no one missed her. Mm-hmm. And so I just feel like the film is on her side. The well, dude with the VD is the piece of shit. Uh, her husband at home is a piece of shit. And it's like, I am not condoning cheating on your spouse or anything like that, but I do think it takes a sympathetic approach to her as a character rather than saying, like, see what happens when you cheat, see what happens when you do this, ladies, you're going to end up with VD. Uh-huh. No, I agree. And that I think that's the same thing with, um... I think Hitchcock affords some humanity in his treatment of Marion Crane. Mm-hmm. To, to take it back to this film's godparent with Psycho again, Marion Crane, we see her we see her coming off of a sex scene in 1960 with her bra on. <laughs> um, she leaves her job as she steals. Like this woman is this woman is right for punishment by the cultural standards at the time. She's a floozy that steals shit and leaves her work with all that money. She's on the run. She meets this guy. She eats his sandwich. She must die. But, like, I don't think... I don't think anyone is against Marion Crane. Like, you're with Marion Crane. Mm-hmm. And you're, like, rooting for her. That's why, like, as she's driving and that music is playing, you're like, oh, God, I hope she can make it. So, I, yeah, I think... I do feel like... And the fact that it is all located in Angie Dickinson's experience, just like it's all built around Marion Crane's experience... Mm-hmm. It, it feels like it's humanizing in a weird way but it's these women up against the societal expectation i mean look at nancy allen and how dennis franz treats poor nancy allen dennis franz and playing another bada boom bada boom detective hey oh, he geez. directly references looking for mr goodbar i mean it's like mm-hmm. hey what are you hey what's going on here <laughs> Detective yeah. Tomatoes. <laughs> yeah, he's of the he's of the the Eastern Tomatoes. <laughs> yeah. 
Stacy, here's my tangential question. You think he's attractive in this, don't you? Why does this keep happening? Him in, in Psycho 3? Two? Well, I don't know. You'd have, you'd have to watch all of the female and probably a portion of male viewers of, uh, what was he on? NYPD Blue. NYPD Blue. He became a sex symbol all of a sudden. So there's something there, clearly. But that's like that's that's like too far down the line for me. Like this slight like he's he's never been fresh faced, but like slightly fresher faced to true. his friends. True. It's that it's just that scuzzy New Jersey car salesman energy and that mustache where I'm like, God, I just hate him, but mm. Well <laughs> This is unexpected. In I didn't way. mean to talk about this. Well, I, I, I love and hate Dennis Franz. It's just trashy Dennis. He's like Carl from Aqua Teen Hunger Force, but there's just something that I'm like, oh, it's just not right. You enjoy sleaze. That's fine. I enjoy sleaze. I'm from a small town. Right. I'm sure. from a small town with trashy white people that did a lot of meth. <laughs> That's where I'm from. I can't help it. Um, it's acceptable. But the way he dismisses Nancy Allen and treats her, et cetera, et cetera, versus let's look at our sex worker. Yeah. Who is fucking rad, uh, who is worried about building her investment portfolio, which includes stock options and buying art. Yeah. Do you like my painting? (laughs) Yeah. Like, she's fucking great. She's amazing. She also is an investigative journalist. Yes, Uh, she is. She doesn't have a fedora, but she might as well. She she has that. she, She has the steno pad of her heart ready to go she's gonna solve this mystery but like that's the thing like dennis frank like the film simultaneously kind of i don't know objectifies her but at the same time she is this poor woman who has witnessed a murder she's traumatized Mm -hmm. she's in the police station he's coming at her and she's saying oh my god you're turning this around and you're making this my problem you're you're accusing me of being a suspect and you're saying you're discounting the reality of like she just saw a person be murdered and now the fact that she is a sex worker is being like turned on her and against her he's not going to investigate the case he's going to encourage her to break into the doctor's office he's going to ask her to find the evidence for him she he has she has to do his job so there also there is also a a, a 1312 a cab sentiment built into this film <laughs> There's also, you know, she runs into this murder in the elevator because she's leaving uh, John's apartment. What happens when the door opens and we have a bloody woman reaching out for help? The dude runs away. Yeah. Yeah, Nancy, she stays. Nancy Allen stays and tries to help. Yeah, until she sees Michael Caine and the wig specter in the mirror. Mm-hmm. But she's she is there to help. She By the end of the film, after all of it's over, like, oh, it turns out Dennis Franz knew the whole time. Put her in danger. Yeah, put her in danger. She was being tailed by another cop. He wasn't worried. He did He did all that because he, like, he had her do all of this because he wanted to go to the football game. He's a lazy, shitty pig piece of shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm like, is this film judging her <laughs> as much as it? So it, it's interesting to me. I do really want to know how much of that is De Palma and how much of that just comes through because... We watch Queens and we see Queens for Queens. Um, right. Sometimes it's hard not... Well, 
sometimes all the time it's it's hard not to see a movie with my own eyes you yes, know what i mean absolutely. like that and that's why i say like there are times when i'm probably being too generous etc because one person in this movie who doesn't elicit any sympathy from the audience except for anybody who might have the shared experience or enough empathy as a member of any kind of uh, subculture community mm-hmm. is dr elliot mm-hmm. um in carrie which granted also is based on stephen king you know carrie's a monster essentially right but well also, especially after what she does to that gym teacher Right, after the prom, et cetera, et cetera. But make no mistake, it is sympathetic to her throughout the entire film. Yeah, she's the hero. Whereas here, I don't think that Dr. Elliot is afforded any sympathy really at all unless you extrapolate their story to real life experiences and you have that empathy regardless. Yeah. Well, and the movie isn't affording any sympathy, I don't think. If the film, I mean, once the once the, once uh, that character is made a killer, absolutely not. But yeah. if the film, you could argue that it was moving towards it. If the film had um, ended with the the capture, the arrest, you know, the revelation from the other doctor, the, right? Which was very much also just the scene in the sheriff's office in Psycho. Oh, for sure. Uh, well, Norman and his mother. Like, if uh, if it had ended there, mm-hmm. but then you get another encounter with this character, and then it comes back and dresses up again, and then we have another shower scene, and yeah, well, it goes for the horror movie fake out ending. Yeah, 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 yeah. Here's here's bad scene or bad scene going to the hospital. Right. Yeah. Um, I think yeah. it, it just like the whole movie De Palma saw that episode of Donahue misinterpreted what it means to be trans made a movie based on that mm-hmm. which is all about duality this movie is also there are two wolves inside you and so it's like you have the Dr. Elliot slash Bobby you have more split screen and split diopter shots than in it all the other De Palma films combined. <laughs> you have the dual protagonists and the two narratives. The women are both, you know, different generations, but look very similar. There's literally, like, Nancy Allen picks up the straight razor from the elevator, and it's kind of like, now it's her turn to join this narrative. Mm-hmm. And it's shocking when the narrative shift happens because you don't expect it. Like, there are very few movies that do this. You know, you've got Scream where we all thought it was going to be about Drew Barrymore and then all of a sudden she got killed. Yep. It's great, I think, that few movies do this, but it means that when it does happen, it's still shocking, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I think the whole thing is probably about duality and et cetera, et cetera. And it just turns into a messy, complicated, clunky problematic as fuck transphobic movie that's worth talking about absolutely problematic masterpiece yeah there are a lot of those there sure are (laughs) um well and and i mean underneath all of those things once again this movie is also psycho and that's another thing that's interesting to me is like how we treat some movies that are more explicit versus how we treat others where they're more coded, but they still have the same effect or they still. Yes. So it's like, well, why psycho? We still regard as a classic dressed to kill. Like if we did an episode on psycho, I, I don't think you and I would have to be as careful about our words, you know? True. 
Um, well, I think also because Norman was dressing as another person that we know, whereas Bobby yes. is Dr. Elliot. I think there's that. Yes. Of like Nor- it, it feels more like Norman is putting on a costume that is his mother versus like Norman was trans. Yeah, absolutely. But then when you think about the fact that that was 20 years before this film, and you're locating that in 1960, in 1960, you're coming off of the 50s, and you think about the fact that back then, all uh, gay people, like, and I mean gay people, like same-sex attracted people, all gay people, all trans people, all, like, you know, drag queens, all, everybody was conflated under the same identity. Mm-hmm. We were all attributed to be pedophiles and murderers and deviants and perverts. Yeah, we were all mentally ill. Yeah, and, yeah, and and legally mentally ill, according to like the the, the medical industry and the psychiatric world. Um, so, like, I feel like that stuff was still coded into Psycho, but because it isn't explicitly named, we don't we don't talk about it in the same lens that we talk about like Sons of the Lambs or Dressed to Kill. But I feel like it's absolutely the the where this trope came from. And I think for the culture at the time, it, it still spoke to this underlying fear of this this deviant other. Oh, um, sure. But people, so. I mean, the, you know, the genre and genre critics at large aren't going to talk about it also partially because it's psycho, right? Yeah. It's oh, like, it's a classic. It's, it's, it's an un- unimpeachable sort of cornerstone of the genre. Yeah. You know? But like, is that where this trope came from? think it's a huge part of it absolutely it's interesting like you said if the movie ended before it ended how would we feel because i just looked at my notes and after he ends after dr elliot ends up at bellevue i wrote down feels dot 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 well-intentioned question mark it felt kind of like it was all like not not like a carrie level where we afford so much sympathy to carrie and like it's hard for sue snell and she has the nightmare about her it yeah. feels almost like it's structured as a tragedy for Dr. Elliot for a moment. For a moment, it does. Like, surprisingly, even Detective Bada Boom is there for the whole explanation. <laughs> but he's not, hey, yo, what a Farika Deek. You know what I mean? He's just yeah. like, even he is quiet. So it really does all of a sudden feel like uh, as much sympathy as Dr. Elliot's going to get. Well, and, and Dr. Elliot's doctor, I can't remember that guy's name, um, yeah. but he goes to, Dr. Elliot goes to visit this doctor at Bellevue, um, who is, who is, at the time we think Bobby is a separate person, separate entity body altogether. Mm-hmm. And he goes to visit this doctor and, and he wants to speak with Bobby and, um, and the doctor's even like, well, come up to my room and we can see if we can reach her. Yeah. Because it like like much how the bad seed com- conflated uh, and didn't understand what what sociopathy is. Mm-hmm. Um, this film doesn't understand what transness is uh, because psychology was still catching up to the fact that people exist, <laughs> and and uh, so it's it's conflated with like DIID and 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 uh, gender dysphoria gets thrown in with all of that. And but the doctor, like when Michael Caine or Dr. Elliot has to leave and he's just like, oh, I, I have to go. I'll, I'll find Bobby other, like another time or something. The doctor has like a sympathetic look 
like the 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 glance of this character the 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 expression of this character is one of like almost pain for this for their client for this patient of theirs um so yeah up up until up until like as the nurse comes and is tucking dr elliot in to the bed in the psychiatric unit in that weird like murder theater scene (laughs) um uh up until that moment where he begins to choke her there's almost an air of tragic of the tragic it just makes this movie more complicated it just muddies up the waters can't you just you know have one black and white viewpoint and then i can make a tweet about it and get retweeted and that'll be the end (laughs) that's what i wrote in my notes yeah. <laughs> I was very upset. Yeah. I was hoping I could finally launch my Twitter career with my takedown of Brian De Palma's dress to kill. <laughs> it's why it's why I am drawn to messy movies. Yeah, I, absolutely. I am drawn to these messy films that cat like like a uh, hide and go shriek with mm-hmm. the gay killer, with the the leather daddy bondage killer. Mm-hmm. Do I love that film? Absolutely. Am I on that killer's side? absolutely am i also on the side of that star i can't remember her name but she was a perfect goddamn queen absolutely bunky bunky absolutely bunky jones fuck yeah um was that movie made to elicit a very different response from its viewers sure Mm -hmm. but i love the messiness i roll in the messiness uh we learn a lot about who we are and where we came from and yeah. I think that's something that people probably, if unless this is their first episode, which, hello, is that it's something that we both enjoy diving into and talking about these things because, you know, today doesn't exist in a vacuum. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think it's also, uh, maybe, may, I don't, I don't know. I don't want to speak for the youth of today, but, but I think when I was growing up, being gay was still something shameful sure let alone being trans like that wasn't even talked about (laughs) no um, i mean i know kids cannot the kids of today absolutely cannot relate i'll tell you what there were zero people who were out in my high school zero oh yeah zero it was something you said about somebody as a pejorative and meanwhile on the inside you're like (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah you know what i mean but nobody was out nobody yeah yeah oh my god i came out i came when i was when i was in seventh grade i came out over the telephone to my best friend at the time i said um i said i I, i'm i think i'm gay and they laughed at me and said oh my god you you're gay wad and then i like went into like a state of horror and i was like "Ah, just kidding just kidding i wanted to see how you would react and then we both laughed and it was a funny joke because we were were funny in seventh grade it was funny joke you know like it's really funny it's how we goof yeah um and then i just went back about my life this that my my best friend at the time is a trans woman has transitioned as a trans woman the person that I told it to, they called me a gay wall. Like, that's how different it was. Is like, we couldn't even share that with each other. Right. Um, there were no outlets. Like, when Will and Grace came out, I would have to go and, like, lock myself in my room and, like, secretly watch it. Oh, lots of secret media consumption. 
Oh yeah, and I'm sure I'm sure there's kids in small towns that are like you know secretly watching Drag Race on their phones in their beds right. or something at night. But it's it's just the fact that there wasn't even positive depiction. Right. Um, it was so different that I think to to have grown up in an era where I already knew that I was demonized and that going to church and being told I was evil and all this shit. Uh, I guess it's easier for me to wade through these depictions that are more messy because that's just so commonplace for how I understood my identity for so long. Not how I saw myself in it, but how I understood the rest of the culture seeing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I understand the desire to make all that go away and to shift to better depictions. I think that's admirable, but but I think it's it's not as hard for me to be confronted with the grossness. It's It's like being native. Like, I collect awful racist artwork about natives like of natives like i i love like horrible dollar tree statues of indians (laughs) like i'm I'm into that kind of thing because it's so awful and wrong and false Mm -hmm. but i can there's some kind of twisted joy i derive from 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 being aware of the dissonance between my actual experience versus how culture depicts me so i don't know it's weird i'm Maybe I'm a glutton for pain. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a level of removal from it also because you haven't conflated those things with yourself. Mm. I think if, I mean, if you grew up with negative depictions and internalized them and were like, am I the child molester at the park? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? If, and you, But if you had a strong sense of self and you knew that that didn't speak to your experience and everything, it probably makes it easier now, especially, to engage with this kind of problematic material. That's very real. Versus also how many people did take those things directly to heart. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because they... I, I also had the internet then. I began to... You know, I got the internet and AOL, like, when I was an early teenager... And I was able to educate myself. I was able to find planetout.com and learn what it means to be gay. I was able to find hotlines and call people and talk to them. But like for people that didn't have that or didn't have the resources or didn't find the, the time to run away upstairs or didn't have the AOL CD-ROM, like how many people then did turn in, are still closeted or are, have denied that or turn into you know homophobes themselves and take it out on members of their own community that they're not willing to embrace so yeah oh i've got gay friends who are very much of the assimilation mindset oh 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 hello white gays (laughs) yeah you know what i mean and uh, it's real it's Mm -hmm. like where does that come from it comes from the fact that nobody was out in high school and all the people who were like all any gay depictions we had in the media were degenerates yeah et cetera, et cetera. and it's like you can look at that with a removal if you know who you are if it then takes you 10 more years to come out chances are you've internalized all of that yeah and said i'm not going to be that kind of gay person i'm not going to be the one at the pride parade in a g-string that's not me i look just like them and i have a job and i'm very respectable you know mm-hmm. humanity is complicated it's respectable gaze. so is the filmography of brian de palma oh brian 
We can, I can talk about this shit all day. I know, I didn't, it, I honestly, I love that we still didn't even really talk about what the movie's about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but everybody knows Dress to Kill. Everyone knows Dress to Kill. Go read a synopsis. Go read a synopsis if you don't know what it is, right? Like... This could be a 10 hour episode. It could be. There's so much to talk about. Uh, this movie is ridiculous. It's also amazing. Um, it's too much. It's so 1980. Also, the interiors are fabulous. <laughs> Nancy Allen's apartment, please. Nancy Allen herself. My oh, God, God. What a legend. A legend, a treasure. Icon. I love Nancy Allen and. <sighs> She just, there are a few actresses that it's just like, man, she just ruled the fucking early 80s. Oh. Like, you know what I mean? She still rules my world, but it's like, I just think of early 80s. I think Nancy Allen. Carrie, Dressed to Kill, Robocop. Blowout. Another Palma movie. Blowout's fucking another one where it's like, oh, she's a sex worker. (laughs) And that's her Uh, and Travolta? That's a another fucking. I think I think that's De Palma's masterpiece, but maybe it's just oh. my favorite. But that movie is absolutely incredible. Got to do it. Yeah, that's Love a great Nancy fucking Allen. movie. I Love Nancy her. Allen. I had to look her up because I was like, "What is she?" I was like, "She doesn't." She kind of vanished after like RoboCop three. I felt like, and um, so I looked her up to see what she was doing. I've seen pictures of her recently because I know, you know, that horror director, Sam Irwin, that he does like, he did like Elvira's Haunted Hills. Um, mm-hmm. And he's, he, I met him at conventions and he's really great, but he always is like posting pictures of him and Nancy Allen. And <laughs> so I've seen pictures of her and I'm like, oh my God, this woman is still fucking stunning today. Oh, she looks incredible. Um, Fucking stunning. Not that that's where her worth is because she is a perfect queen. But, uh, I was looking her up and like she quit acting years ago and is the executive director of like a cancer survivor center in LA. And I'm like, could I love a queen more? No. Nancy goddamn Allen. Icon. Absolutely. Well, okay, Stacy. Now that that's out of the way, are you ready to place your head on the chopping block? Uh, I think so. Yes. There's nothing left. That that conversation really took it out of me. It was a lot. There's a it lot. Was a, it was a lot, and I honestly could have kept going, but I started to feel like it is a podcast that will potentially have an audience. So shut up now. You you know? Our our largest episode ever on Dress to Kill. Right. There's so much to discuss. There's a lot. So don't read a synopsis of it, I say. I mean, you can if you want. I'm not really here to tell you what to do. But watch it and form your own opinion on that movie. Mm-hmm. See what it does to your brain. Mm-hmm. Right? What? Sure, let's play. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, let's play what? The chopping block, which is a question and answer game, trivia game. Each of us chooses from three categories that have five questions each. You place your head on the chopping block 
the our non-binary executioner the heads they approacheth you have 10 seconds to answer each question in the category if you answer incorrectly or time runs out the heads they's gonna chop your head off it's where they get the name right uh <laughs> however you have one opportunity to cry out i want the wig jamie lee Cur and uh, if you cry out i want the wig jamie lee curtis's beautiful um not at all straw like uh-huh not at all made of wheat <laughs> wig <laughs> harvested the by the little red hand <laughs> Yeah, her fucking synthetic bird's nest of a wig. <laughs> From the 1981 film Halloween 2 will magically appear on your head. Um, the heads they is confused. And it'll get you 10 more seconds. Whatever, you die or you don't. The end. Someone tweeted at us who went first. And when I saw the tweet... Because I can never remember who goes first, and I sometimes don't write it down. I, well, I mean, I sometimes do write it down, but usually don't. Anyway, the point is, someone tweeted at us <laughs> who went first, and I said to myself, I am purposefully not going to remember that. So I don't know who goes first. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that story. I love that you just will yourself to not remember. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know why. Like, why? They were doing a nice thing and telling you who went first so you could refer to it. That's amazing. And I, I said, I don't want to know. Maybe they'll, maybe just to continue to troll us or to help us, you know, depending, maybe they'll start a Twitter account that just tracks who's next. What if they're trolling and lying about it? Then oh. I'll look like the fool. Or Those you will. I guess you could also look like a fool. I don't want to look like a fool. It's not always me. I'm upset. <laughs> oh, yeah. Keep, keep telling yourself that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Um, I think I asked, was asked for, uh, oh, I don't need to go down this road. You were asked? Okay. I was asked. Was okay. I asked? Is that a word? What does that mean? Does that mean I answered first? Yeah. It's a complicated way of saying it. So does For that a mean complicated episode? I were asked. <laughs> so wait. Oh my god! I told you, there's nothing. The the head say is gonna chop my head off, and it's gonna go <laughs> like a balloon. Because <laughs> there's nothing up there anymore. It's gone. Discussion. It's gone. People don't understand. Like when I test Jason on these questions, like he gets them all right in a row. Of course. But when you're after like you've sat in a hot room without any doors or windows open it's so hot it's so fucking hot you're you're like you're sitting in the hot room you're my like my legs have gone numb at this point yeah we've we've worked through all of these like philosophical sociological questions and tub girl <laughs> yeah like and now i have to answer a question in 10 fucking seconds yeah but all i can think about is brian de palma's passion what the fuck that's right. So that means you ask me questions first. Right now. Yeah, man. Fabulous. Okay, Stacy, I have two new categories for you. And one returning category. Your returning category is wig court. Oh, yes. In wig court, 
or Whig court, depending on your fancy, I name an actress and her role in a film. You tell me whether or not she was wearing a wig. <laughs> it's a 50-50 chance, man. So easy. And then we have two new categories for you. Uh, both kind of are influenced by Dress to Kill. Um, your your first new category is Problematica, which is a, a new Lady Gaga Oreo, in which I name an arguably anti-LGBTQ depiction of a character. And you tell me the movie. Um, there is also your second new category is Hooray for Gay, it, which is basically an inversion of the last category. I name or describe positive depictions of LGBTQ characters and you tell me the movie. I see. So your options today are Whig Court, Problematica, or Hooray for Gay. First of all, hooray for gay is a sentiment I don't believe in, so I will not be choosing that category. As a noted homophobe. As a noted homophobe, I disagree with it. <laughs> I need to I need to go to wing court. Like I have to. <laughs> <laughs> I need to put on my blazer. We knew this day was dawning. Yeah. Okay. I've been waiting for this one to come back, so all right, I don't. I actually don't feel confident at all because, as you know, the reason why wig court is even a thing is because unless it is egregious, <laughs> like super egregious, like Jamie Lee Curtis's wig in the nineteen eighty one film Halloween two, I am clueless. I believe that all hair is real. You're, it's not that you're clueless. It's that you are so. You have so much trust. In your compassionate, empathic heart. I really do have a lot of trust. That you see this actress as depicted, and you say that is absolutely her. That's her hair. It's 100% her. That is uh, all her. You believe women, is what you're saying. (laughs) That's right. Hashtag baby. Okay, so wig court. Remember, I just name an actress and her role in a film. And you tell me whether or not she's wearing a wig. You can say wig. You can say no wig. Okay. Sometimes maybe it's both. Who knows? What? It's up to you to decide. It's up to you to decide. You chose the category. This is wig court. Do you mean like extensions? That would be both. No. No, you'll know what I mean. Okay. I see. Okay. All right. I'm ready. (laughs) (laughs) The ponytail was an extension. (laughs) Okay. Um, It was hard to research this, by the way. Uh, So, wig court. All rise. Court is in session. (laughs) Judge Toller is taking her seat. (laughs) Let's begin with Exhibit 1. Dakota Johnson as Susie Banyan in Suspiria. That's a wig. Ding, 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 ding. Your Honor, that's a wig. (laughs) Um, Sustained. No, what do they say when it's good? Yeah, sustained. When they go for it? Sustained. Sustained. (laughs) (laughs) Exhibit two. Drew Barrymore as Casey Becker in Scream. Oh. Uh, uh, Your Honor, I believe that's a wig. (laughs) Ding, ding, ding. Sustained. (sighs) Okay. Okay, we 
we're moving on. Can, instead of the ding ding, can you make a gavel sound, please? Uh, just I have to, a gavel. Just to, uh, for my immersion. Okay, how's this? Thank you! <laughs> I have a gavel. <laughs> I literally have a gavel. Okay. All right, now my immersion. Okay. Now I gotta get my stopwatch and my gavel? Okay, this is really hard. Okay. Um, <laughs> Carrot top. <eight>. <laughs> <laughs> Exhibit three, Mia Farrow as Rosemary Woodhouse in Rosemary's Baby. Your Honor, the evidence will show that that is not a wig. Oh, but at what point, at what point she probably does before she gets the haircut, right? Is this what you're trying to tell me (laughs) by both? Yes, 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 yes. I was thinking specifically of the pixie cut. I'm sorry. I forgot. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Order, order in the court. Order in this, order in wig court. Thank you very much. Bailiff, let Uh, go of me. Your honor, it's both. Gag the prosecutor, (laughs) your honor. Oh, wait, I'm my honor. God damn it. (laughs) Sustained. Um, What I will say is I'll allow it. Okay. Because, yes, you are right. It was was, uh, not a wig. Yeah. At one point, but it was a wig before she got the Vidal Sassoon haircut. Right. I was just thinking of the pixie cut. So this was an example of both. But like I said, I'll allow it. All right. Thank you, Your Honor. Um, sustained. Okay. We move on to exhibit four. Oh, God. Exhibit four. You are almost there. Okay. I see freedom. Look at you. I You're countering freedom. your trust with your sense of um, investigation. You know? <laughs> You can you're seeing through it. Okay. Exhibit four. Jennifer Lawrence as mother in Mother. Oh, that's tough. Your Honor, I, I need a wig, Your Honor. <laughs> um, oh no. I'm gonna you know what, Your Honor? I'm gonna say no. It was a wig. How was it a wig? I don't know. The fact that it was a wig, perhaps? What's wiggish about any wig? Unless it's a Halloween Town wig. Fuck off. This is, this is where I don't believe. I don't believe it's a wig. You contest the evidence? I'm going to declare a mistrial, Your Honor. We have a hung wig, everyone. Damn it. Okay, well, there was one more. I want to see if you would have got this one. Tony Collette as Annie Graham in Hereditary. I feel like no, but that probably means yes. But is it no? I say say no. (laughs) Gag the prosecutor. (laughs) It turns they were all, in fact, wigs. What do you mean all? Every question here. Everybody in every movie ever, it turns out, is wearing a wig, Stacey. <laughs> Don't do that to my mind. <laughs> do you remember how many messages we got about how we didn't talk about the little girl who lives down the lane's wig? <laughs> and why I didn't bring it up? Because I didn't know. <laughs> I, I didn't did, know. 
I didn't even think about it. I was so transfixed by the cut. Yeah, I didn't know. She's wearing a wig in Hereditary? Yeah. Why? That's just, why? Um, And I knew this because somebody on the internet, in my research, somebody on the internet took a screenshot and they zoomed in and you can see the lace from the wig just sticking out. Like, they didn't even bother to apply it all the way to her head in, the, in one of the shots of the movie. Well, it's not that different than her regular hair. That's it? the like, thing, Like, right? it's one thing if it's Dakota Johnson as Susie Banyan. Like, when the wig serves that kind of a purpose, I get it. Mm-hmm. Or if it's a plot point like Rosemary's Baby, but like Tony Collette's hair wouldn't work for Annie and Hereditary. Ah, uh, ah, uh, uh, here's the thing: wigs are primarily used. Uh, I mean, yes, if you want to be, if say Dakota doesn't want to change her blonde hair and doesn't have to, doesn't know how to reverse grow her hair to be Susie Banyan. <laughs> yeah. There is that, um, but most of the time it's for the sake of continuity. I see. So then they don't have to worry about the hair growing over the shoot or like say the actress has, you know, a perm or something. She doesn't want to get rid of. But it's <laughs> a continuity. So then you I don't have see. to, you don't have to worry about making sure the hairstyle's uh, the same all the time if you just put a wig on. I guess. I guess. <laughs> You're poor watching your illusions be shattered. Yeah, I'm going to stop thinking about this. This is another thing I'm going to willfully not remember. This, otherwise, this is how you would finally, I feel, lose all trust in humanity. Is to this know is, that this is how I truly close the curtains forever and disappear into the void because I'm going to be staring an inch away. It's going to be video drome. I'm going to be <laughs> fucking an inch away from the TV, looking at everybody's like hairlines. I'm going to be looking in the mirror and be like, "Am I wearing a wig? I can't tell. What is the truth anymore?" <laughs> <laughs> Philip K. Dick's wig. Right, it's bad. I'm still reeling from the rondos, wondering <laughs> if that woman Blasey is going to be looking back at me in the mirror. I don't need to worry about whether or not my own hair is real. Okay. Yeah, and then she pulls off the wig. Mm-hmm. I have enough existential dread going on. Thank you. Yeah. I will not have wig-related worries. All the, the wigs of your undoing. Yeah, any more than I usually have. <laughs> She just wakes up in a cold sweat. <laughs> Touching my own head. Wake. <laughs> okay. Still real. Still real. Still perfect. Or is that just really good glue? <laughs> <laughs> you don't even know if it's I your can't own tell. <sighs> wow. So well, I well done. Noble effort. You made it very far despite your innate trust in the follicle. This is true. Okay. Well, great. Okay, dead. You feel great about it, do yeah. you? So, uh, find me on a Ouija board, and now I can ask you questions. <laughs> Perfect. First of all, you have three new categories this week. Oh, thank you. However, I feel like I'm going to take one of them off the table, because it is called Your Fave is Problematic, where oh. I describe problematic horror movies and you tell me the movie, and I feel like that is so close to... Oreos that you had <laughs> that it's probably too fresh in your mind. Shouldn't Lady Gaga's next album just be called Oreos? Oreos? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I I can see that. That makes sense. Because we probably have a significant amount of overlap. I would yeah, think. there's probably a lot of the same stuff on there. Yeah. 
So, uh, another new category that you have. I mean, you can pick it if you want, but another new category you have is Disaster July. <gasps> Which I feel like is actually the name of an old category, but I didn't realize that until I was already doing it. And so the questions are all new. <laughs> um, That's I the full just, title. Yeah, I describe a disaster movie. Obviously, you tell me the movie. Oh, I love that. And your third new category is Great Value Dialogue. In which case, I give you a quote from a Great Value Slasher movie. You tell me the Great Value Slasher movie. And I will say, as a bonus, these are all Great Value Slasher movies we discussed when we did our run of Great Value Slasher movies. Oh! Oh! Oh, that one! <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. I or know you, you we usually we present the full list of them all together, but I just that one. <laughs> yeah, it's the one I was most excited about, obviously. So they are all great value slasher movies that we discussed some time back when we did we had our like month and a half or whatever of great value slasher movies. Because I love great value slasher movies. Oh yeah. Was that right before we did Disaster July? Maybe. Right around then, probably. Yes, yes, it was. Because it was a, do we keep going with great value slashers? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and then we were like, no, let's just do the opposite of what anyone wants from a horror podcast and do the disaster movies from the 70s. Yeah, exactly. I love that. Yeah. Okay, so great value dialogue. I think you'll get all of these. Wait, you say the line and then I tell you the movie? Yes. Okay. Okay. You'll get these. These are real easy. You'll get them. Okay. Oh, fuck. Trust me, you'll get them. Okay. All right, great value... Great value dialogue. <laughs> Line number one. How do we know she is alive? <laughs> that was <on> <laughs> Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> fucking angel. Her. <laughs> I love her so much. I love her. I love that movie. It's the greatest line reading of all time. It really is. I promise none of the rest of these are as good as that. So. Oh, well, thank you, though, for that. But you can't say that without saying it just like her. So I worried I wouldn't even, I would just laugh so hard I couldn't say the answer. <laughs> oh. All right. Great value dialogue number two. Just teach the class and stop showing off your tits and your tight little ass. <laughs> oh my god, what is that? Oh, what did we watch? We watched I Want the Wig. Um, it's not pieces. It's uh, we didn't watch that for it. it creates value. It's uh, it's, it's teach the class. Oh, uh, uh, killer workout. Yes, ding ding ding. Oh, thank god. Oh. I would have had to Ron Johnson myself if I had got that wrong. <laughs> okay. Uh, number three. Oh, God. Remember when you could sit outside and <laughs> worry about the mosquitoes and the killers? <laughs> <laughs> I love these movies. It's a nail gun massacre. Yes, ding, ding, ding. Oh, <laughs> oh Grandma. <laughs> All right, number four. From the heart comes a warning filled with bloody good cheer. Remember what happened as the 14th draws near. 
2014. Oh, my bloody Valentine. Yes, ding, ding, ding. Oh, thank God. Oh my God. Oh, See? I lose my street cred. Yeah, you're getting these. One more. Oh fuck. Okay. One more. <laughs> Do you know? At this very minute, I am missing. As the world turns. <laughs> what? <laughs> From another masterpiece, Don't Go in the Woods Alone. Oh, oh no! There's dialogue in that movie? <laughs> yes, and it's all fucked up, like, cadence. It's all, like, the stresses are all wrong. It's like, the, all the dialogue in that movie is delivered by people who have never spoken a word of English before. Which is fine, except that they're all just American Americans actors. who don't to say their lines. They don't know how to say, do you know, at this very minute, I'm missing as the world turns. And so it's, do you know, at this very minute, I am missing as the world turns. <laughs> so See, I didn't even think, I did, I, that's, that's, they're saying they're missing the soap opera. Yes. But when it's delivered, it does, it's not even, you, the brain doesn't even form associations when you hear it in that cadence. <laughs> No, they turn one sentence into four. It's so good. I love Don't Go to the Woods Alone. <sighs> so, you made it to the end. Great job. Great movies. I did not live. I died. Did I say you lived? No, you said I made it to the end, which is true. Oh, yeah, the end of the list of questions. This is, this is that's a glass is half full. Except, well, I've proven how optimistic I am today. So I am. You are optimistic today. It's unlike you. I am grateful. I feel it, it. I it is right in line with the universe that I die much like Lady Painter at the hands of Don't Go in the Woods Alone. I wear that with pride. That's right. You could have roller skated away down the gravel trail. <laughs> yeah, if only I packed my roller skates. <laughs> but instead. Oh. <sighs> well. Wow. This was a this was a supersized. Supersized. I how can you talk about dress to kill? And we still didn't nearly touch on everything. The movie itself. <laughs> yeah, like telling people what it's about or whatever. But uh, there you go. Wow, what a journey this episode has been. What a journey. We've had several journeys. And uh, I don't know. Yeah, we started out with the the, the, the poop investigations. <laughs> yeah. Turned into notes on changing uh, I- ideas in society and visibility yeah. and depiction. Lived yeah. experience. <laughs> Wigs. Wigs <laughs> and, and cadence and incredible dialogue from films. Oh, wow. Uh, wow! Yeah, so I don't know. Do you? I don't know. Um, I would say, you know, uh, 
if you enjoyed today's episode, you can rate us at iTunes on iTunes. You can mm. give us a five star rate. You don't have to give us five stars, but th- I would think that would be nice. Um, mm-hmm. Unless you want to troll us, like the person that gave us a one star but gave us a great review. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you you could rate us. Um, you can subscribe to us via mm-hmm. uh, GaylordsDarkness.com. There's a little button, and you can click it. And it'll take you over where you can subscribe and become a regular subscriber of this podcast. Um, we also have a tip jar at GaylordsDarkness.com. If you enjoyed the episode, if you watched our latest Necronomologue or the first Necronomologue that we have available on the website, you can watch them there. And if you enjoy any of this, you can leave a little tip through the tip jar. And um, that would be cool. Wow. Not, not mandatory by any means. No. Otherwise, you can find us on all our social media at Gaylords mm. of Darkness or Gaylords of D on Twitter. Where mm-hmm. we exist begrudgingly sometimes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow, well. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Look at Marty marketing over there. <laughs> wow. If you want to tell people about our website. <laughs> <laughs> Stacey's going to beat me up behind the alley after this. You know me. (laughs) Uh, Well, we'll be back next week, presumably. Yeah, we're going to talk about all the Fear Street films. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Stacey's just chomping at the bit, (laughs) ready to talk about Fear Street. I'm sure there are people talking about them. I haven't watched them. That's fine. You don't need to watch them, Stacey. Okay. Uh, okay. Wow, for a haunted tome made out of skin, it's so loosely structured, yet informative. I know, right? Uh, Is it over? It's glowing and spinning on its own, so I'm gonna guess yes. Ah, Oh oh my my god! God. Oh Oh my my god. god! Tune in next time for more